0: He's not just great. He's the greatest. Amen. There's nothing above him. Nothing above him. You know what? We're not the best church in the world, but we've got the best God. Amen. Huh? Tell Deborah, we, we're not the best at anything. We're just trying to give God our best. Amen. But our best isn't that Impressive. Lord, I gave you everything. Well, don't be impressed. <laughs> yeah. You got 80 cavities, you got 80 medications, you're going bald, and your face is sagging. He says, I gave you everything. Well, man, yeah. well, who else would take you? <laughs> well, that's not the sermon, but let's turn over to Ephesians 4. And I'm going to read uh, Ephesians and a compliment passage in Colossians. And we're dealing with the theme of healing the broken family. And this is what I'd like for you to do. Because uh, some of you are boring to preach to. Because you know everything. <laughs> you think you know everything. See. Uh, be, what, what, what would be really exciting is if all of you were pagans that had just been saved a month. Then what we've got to say today, it would all be brand new. But some of you can sit there and say, no, I've heard that before. So what? The audience that he's writing to haven't heard it before. And uh, your problem is, have you done it yet? They never even heard it. So let's just think. I'm a first-generation believer straight out of paganism and idolatry, okay? I don't know anything about what a Christian home is to look like. I don't have a clue. I've grown up with... uh, pagan parents, moon worshipers maybe, one of the gods of Greece, whatever. So I I just got saved. Paul came to Ephesus. I came to faith in Christ. I'm really born again. But it's amazing what he's going to write. You can be born again and still not know what the template. You can bring over habits of thinking and acting from the old life to the new life, and so Paul's going to make it clear what he wants to happen to the individuals in that home. God can never change your home until he changes you. Homes are the extension of you. I think it's easy to go after the home as though it's a third entity out there. The home is you and her, assuming the husband and wife, Okay, if you're a single parent, forgive me, but I'm assuming a non-nuclear, we're going back to an ancient Near East family, and even in the Roman Empire, so they they know nothing. And I want you to play dumb. And some of you, that won't be hard. (laughs) Just play dumb like you know nothing. You're fresh clay. And he's giving you this instruction. You've never heard it before. Look at it. Verse 17, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk. Well, that's what I am. I know it, but God saved you out of Gentile religion. That means they didn't have the law of Moses. They know none of the Old Testament. They don't have any of that in their past. All they have is pagan worship, pagan worship. Okay, So he said, I don't want you to live that way anymore. Well, what was that like? In the emptiness of their mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, that is beyond feeling, these people had no feeling, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of of every kind of impurity, with greediness. This is the old life. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old man, literally, the the life connected with being in Adam, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and the holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. And yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. So that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Turn over to Colossians, a complementary but a shorter passage. Colossians 3. And let us begin at verse 5. That's so similar, but I want you to see the emphasis. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, He said that in Romans 6, count yourself dead. He said it in Romans 8, 13, put to death the deeds of the body. So act as dead in your body to sin. You're not available. That agenda is to be over. So your body is dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Stop lying to one another since you laid aside the old self, the old man, with its evil practices. And you put on the new man, new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on like a garment, same word, put on as a garment, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, here is what's a little bit amazing about the passage. I think sometimes we assume, get saved, and you'll automatically know how to act. He didn't assume this. He does assume they're saved. He's described for three chapters what their salvation looks like in Christ. So I think Paul assumes he's writing to believers. Okay? But remember, these are first-generation Christians. They haven't been raised by Christian. They haven't had any Christian modeling in front of them. And so he's wanting them to know, now that you're saved, There is this attitude I hear all the time. I call it fatalistic determinism. This is the way I was made. This is the way I will always be. And and we're using it over homosexuality, alcoholism, any bad habit. I was born this way. It's in my genetic code. I was um, predisposed to this behavior, and that's just the way it is, because the Christian life isn't something that will change you. There's no power to change. So, I have to say, like a 12-step program, I am an alcoholic, and I always will be. Because that's the way I was predisposed to be. My genetics were prearranged that I be this. And the idea of change is impossible. Paul comes right to these people and he says, no, 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 no. In the new birth comes a new nature, a new father, and a new power. The Holy Spirit has come. This is not law. The law commands me, but never enables me. This is not law. This is gospel. This is a gospel change life. Reformed guys always like to talk about the indicative. The indicative. Well, this is imperative. Since you are seated with Christ, I want you to walk this way on the earth. And I've given you the Spirit. You've got all the power you ever will need to change. He's in you. Now, what you need is an outline of the changes you need to make. Here's the template. This is the old manner of life that is just inherent to you that I want you to scrape it off, put it in your past, and put on this new way of living, acting, and carrying out your life. Now, so the Christian life is full of change, right? Uh, Full of change. I I think that, uh, as I said, I was moved. Several weeks ago, when my son-in-law was sharing with me, uh, he knew when his mother got saved. He was in the fourth grade. The changes that happened to her were radical. Uh, From being a single mother, from that conversion experience, he said, we begin to live in church. He said, we were in church five days a week. He said, my mother... I could hear her praying after that. Up to that time, it was a different lifestyle, totally. He said, I saw the radical transformation in my mother, and God saved me. I saw an authentic changed life. Now, here's where we're going. Uh, God's got to first change you before he can change your home. We'll get to the home by the way, we're planning in January a family life conference. We're going to start the second Sunday of January, morning and night. Dave Ekman, uh, who spoke to you before, will kick it off. And then we will complete it the next Friday and Saturday. So in January, we'll be advertising that. And the theme of the conference is putting unhealthy family life behind you. Unhealthy family life behind you. So... Let's see the kinds of changes he says he wants to make in them. Okay? Let's go back to Ephesians. And I just ask you, check off, has God changed this in me? First, 17 through 19, the kind of lives I lived as unsaved pagans. Then, you did not learn to live this way in Christ. But you've learned a different kind of life in which you put off the old manners And you put on the new. And let me tell you the kind of stuff you put off and you should put off. And he's commanding them. Listen to this. Verse 25. Put aside lying and speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You can tell when someone gets saved when they stop lying because we're all born liars from the womb. Who teaches children to lie? They need it, no experience. Did you do that? Uh uh. Uh uh. Well, honey, you're going to get two swats because you said uh uh when you should have said uh uh. Did anyone get spanked twice if you lied about the crime? Some of you never been spanked at all. That's your problem. No, just say, tell dad the truth. that means no spanking? No, it means a spanking, but it won't be as much as I was going to give. <laughs> we are born liars. Our heart lies. He said the heart is deceitful uh-huh. above all things. We are liars, 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 and I don't know if our pants are on fire, but we are liars. <laughs> we are that way from the womb. Lie, manipulate, half truths, Uh not be forthright, don't lay it out there, can't let you know what I really am thinking, can't let you know what I really am, no, and he says, get rid of that, and like I say, when I was in India, Saquant uh, Bhatia was telling me, India, China, are very common, that they may, in India especially, protect their women, and be very uh, on the ball about morality, and Don't be messing with our women. But he said, nobody assumes that a businessman is telling you the truth. That uh, there's four sets of books in most companies. One you show the government. One you show your business partner. One you show this. And one you really have. And he said, we know that. We think you're a fool to tell the truth in business. We all know, you know, it's hiked up, it's missed, uh, everything is alive from the get-go, and it's all part of a game. It's kind of like the first time I went to Tijuana with my family and watched, you know, as anglers just walk in there and pay any price, The first price. No, no, part of the game is bargaining, right? And some of you are born for it. You've got to bargain. And I'm glad my wife's not down there. Oh, yeah, I'll pay it. No, 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 barter. Any of you believe in bartering? You don't know anything. You're used to America. Just going, you got to pay. Can you imagine Best Buy? Hey, I want to (laughs) barter. Escort him out. See, lying. When did you start telling the truth? Now, imagine your kids watching you lie to each other, as husband and wife. Tell them I'm not here. What? Tell them you're not there. Yeah, not there. Can't do it. Can't. They see all that lying. And they don't know any difference, but he said, I'm going to tell born-again believers they need to stop lying and start telling the truth. And you take this in marriage, in a lot of relationships, it is difficult to tell the truth. You don't want to always know what I'm thinking. Some of you give away a piece of your mind you can easily afford. Just hold on to it, honey. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Don't Because to tell the truth, and it's hard, uh, I think, in uh, uh, so many situations, uh, we are set up to lie, to not really come clean. And so he says, and so I'm thinking, if you come into a family system where lying is a way of coping and managing, what do you do when you're raising kids? But they see mom and dad lying to each other all the time. They pick it up. That this is normal. They ought to see a distinction. Then he says, you need to get rid of sinful anger. And uh, you can be angry, but get rid of sinful anger. And that's what he says. Be angry, but don't sin. And how many times have you ever been angry and you didn't sin? James chapter 1 said we ought to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. We seldom do anything right in anger. There are occasions you can be angry for the right reasons and in the right way. But the extremes, as we've illustrated anger and we've read about it, the two extremes is to uh, be the uh, explosive anger, that's the blow-up kind, and you may be bad language, threats, whatever. You know, it's out there. Uh, And then there's the other quiet kind that's internal, that you just, you clam up and you go bitter and uh, everything on the surface looks great, but inside you're seething all the time. So both are destructive. Blow up is probably more destructive to other people. The, The internal is destructive to you. And what do you do? There's nothing wrong with, Anger is an, a normal emotion, is it not? What, we don't need to deny the emotion. What we got to find out is how we can channel it without sin. Sometimes anger is good because it might stir you to action. To get just, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to change that. But he says, in your anger, just don't sin. But do you hear people like this? I just can't help it. I'm just made that way. Matter of fact, I'm going to an anger management class. And you'd be amazed at how many marriages the husband has to take an anger management class. That's okay, but it really looks bad if you're a believer and you need an anger management class. There's a manager called the Spirit who says, cool off, cool off. You can control it. You can control it. You just don't want to. You're getting away with it because angry people control the conversation and they control the environment. And uh, I think of us men, you know, and and I just can't help it. It's amazing how a smaller man with a bigger man that he knows could beat his booty can control his temper. (laughs) It just comes over him. I feel under control. You better. You met your match. But you go over here, it's smaller, or you want to pick. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, you're getting away with it. You used to have a man that would always tell off the board. Felt like it was his role to clean our clock. And he just, man, he would do this, he'd do that. And one day, my wonderful brother just said, don't ever do that again in our board meeting. We're not going to put up with it. You got away with it once, but you ain't going to get away with it twice because I'm not going to take it. Guess what? He had instant cure. God doesn't get his work done through angry men. Moses, that great leader, blew it in anger. So we need to be warned. Yeah, one time I used to quote this all the time, be angry and sin not. One day, Carolyn says, man, I notice you're using that verse a lot. Instead of be under the Spirit's control. My life's verse for that week was, Be angry, but don't sin. She said, You ought to maybe just don't be angry. Can you imagine coming out of the Gentile world? Dionysus was the goddess of drink in the city of Ephesus. Drunken binges, barroom fights, combative, all of this going. He said, Get rid of this anger that most of the time you sin. If you do get angry, it's not a permission to sin. And then he says, you need to learn to solve conflict quickly. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I am amazed at how many immature believers in the church will fester a grudge for a month. And by the time they go to you to make it right, say, well, I felt this way a month. I said, you should have been calling me a month ago. Well, no, if you delay, you can build up more steam. or oh, you mean you can get more bitter? Or you can lose more nights of rest? Because Satan is now in the conflict. He gets a foothold. When you do not make it your business to solve a conflict that you, within your power, Satan comes in. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 that both the offended and the offender ought to be walking to each other to solve the problem. We ought to meet each other halfway, going to each other's houses. I'm here because we want to take care of the conflict. But can you imagine family systems and the pagan world? We're going to hold this grudge, the Hatfields and the McCoys. We ain't gonna let this go until a lot of bodies are strewn around the mafia you kill us we're gonna kill you and here we go we've even got it on national level you build your missiles we'll build ours it's gonna be blood for blood but we're in the church but we're in christ when does it stop don't let the devil run your business anymore don't let him be in your conflicts. That's what he's saying. Get rid of this. This is the way you used to function. Put on being reconcilers. Put on peace. Put on. We will do everything to come to an understanding. Look at how you used to solve conflict when you're unsaved. If you're really unsaved, rounded kind of a guy, it could be fighting, grudge bearing, hate, bitterness. He said, get rid of this. Now imagine these kind of people, if they don't do this personally, what kind of home they're going to run. How long you and the wife had that spout going? Oh, a month. When will you forgive? I ain't going to forgive. When are you going to resolve it? I ain't going to resolve it. She keeps wanting to drag me into counseling, but I don't want to go because I'm not willing to give it up. So you just soon get a divorce as to resolve it. You're right. Because pride is the source of all conflict. And I'm proud. I ain't giving an inch. But there's three children. I don't care because I'm a loving father. Now you're a selfish, self-centered brat that is going to ruin the lives of three kids and lose a good woman because you're too damn proud to humble yourself. That's what's your problem. That's your problem. They'll edit the language. (laughs) This bothers West County. We got guys out of control trying to make kids go to church. I wonder why they don't want to go to their daddy's church. What they're saying, it hasn't worked for you. Howard Hendricks used to say it this way. He used to bend over in class. If you knew Howie Hendrix, he's bald-headed. And he said, what would you think if I came and told you I'm a salesman for hair restoring oil? <laughs> he said, my bald, shiny head would undo all sales pitches. If it works, Howie, why didn't it work on you? If Christianity's going to work in the home, it's got to first work in you, you personally. Dad, Mom. Let's start with dad and mom. These kids may not be saved yet. We can't control the kids. we got not even talking that yet. I'm talking about people. He's talking to save people, cut out this behavior. He goes on. I mean, isn't this basic stuff? You folks been saved forever. and You don't even use the word sin. Uh, but if you were a good fresh pagan, this would be cutting right through your world. And by the way, stop stealing. Mmm, mmm. Must not be from the hood. <laughs> he he stops stealing. Now, now, here's the American mess up. Watch this. He ought to labor so he can get rich, for that's the American dream. Why should he labor? I can't hear you. Yeah. Share with who? Well all those poor folks are just too lazy to work. Well they weren't they were your kin folks picking fruit. My folks were so poor they're living in a tent on the front line of my aunt and by I say you yeah, don't go up and say they're lazy. Just say they're poor. And they were. School teachers started feeding my sister and bought her, her shoes. Oh poor. White folks are poor too. They're all over. Black folks, brown folks, yellow folks. But I see this uh, greed so many times. What's mine is mine, and don't let any needs get in my way, because they ain't going to get it. You stingy man, that you will leave it all in your barns, and they will rot with you. He said the Christian motive for working was not to hoard wealth, but to help people in need. You know what, this need, I'll tell you something that's beautiful this week. I hate to tell you because some of you might, were just getting ready to give an offering. Uh, and uh, we, I called a prayer meeting Tuesday to pray on Wednesday because we keep running this red ink in our general fund. See, a lot of you first generation, general fund, we've got to retitle it, emergency fund, operations fund, uh, Pastors, Hawaii Fund, something. We got a we got name it where it grabs a general. What's that? Nobody gets uh, we've got a burden for the general fund. No, it's for agape, for missions. You know, those are grabbers. This is just wasting your money because it pays all the salaries, buys all the literature, pays for, we pay $100,000 a year just to light this place and pay for water. $100,000 a year. We pay over $400,000 a year to pay the rent. I said, you've got to give $400,000 so we can still say we get to meet here and not turn it over to mechanic's bank. That's how much money. But no one gets the burden for it, so we keep running this red ink, and some of you never get burdened. And in my heart, I was looking, I said, I don't feel like talking to our people. They're giving. They're wonderful. I don't know why, Lord. I'll leave it to you but I will call a prayer meeting. So I called the pastors and my secretary, notified them we'll meet on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. And we're going to pray this in. We're going to ask God to help us. Well, we got there at 10 o'clock. And I'm going to tell these men, we got to pray this money in. But I said, before we pray, I don't know how to do this. Could I tell you one thing? And they said, what's that? I said, by the time I set the prayer meeting yesterday, four hours after I set the prayer meeting, and I pull out this check, someone wrote me a check for $54,592 to eliminate the red ink. Is he a great God? A great God. He, he, said, he answered before we ever prayed. He knew what we needed. I don't know what this has to do with the sermon, but you need to know that. It's <laughs> talking about you give. God blessed the individual. He said, we want to honor God first. What would you have done with it? I work so I can hoard more. No. Why don't you give it to those in need? And then he said, uh, get rid of your rotten speech. The word unwholesome was used of rotting meat, rancid meat. It's a very graphic term, stinking, maggot-infested meat. And he says, some of you, when you open your mouth, all that comes out of it is rot. Filthy, vulgar, derogatory speech. And he said, it's not enough that you stop cussing. Watch. But you ought to learn to speak a word that is good for edification. Some of you have never learned to edify with your mouth. You can cuss someone out, but you never learned to build anybody up. Especially in your home. According to the need of the moment. What does that mean? Say a word they need so that it will give grace to those who hear. Uh, Would you be the person we need to be around if we were discouraged, beat up, downcast? Could we get a good word out of you? Say, no, no, I just don't cuss. But I'm not into positive speech. Well, you're just half delivered. I've stopped the negative, but I've never took on the positive. Well, you're half sanctified. You're not there, honey. Well, that's not my gift. Oh, baloney. You know nothing about a gift here. This is called an imperative. This is called obedience. Yeah. I used to have people all the time say, well, I'd tell you it was good, but don't want to puff you up. I said, well, have you ever heard of discouragement? People get discouraged in this race, too. Do you know how to encourage? Well, that's well, not my thing. No, it's not. If I was dying, I wouldn't call you. I got to get around people that can infuse strength in me. They can f- infuse words. They can give me a word from the Lord. A word from the Lord. A word from the, you know, it's, it's like, we don't trust your vocabulary anyway. Couldn't you just carry a Bible over there and read the Bible, honey? That'd be okay. Just start with this. If you don't know what to say to me, just come up and say, I've got a psalm to you, like Ephesians 5, 18, 9. Singing a psalm to one another, quoting a psalm, that will edify me. The word of God edifies. The baseball scores don't do anything for me. I need a word. A a a word from God. Well, this is convicting. Uh, Stop grieving the spirit. Uh, He's the one you've got to get along with before you could ever raise a home. If there was no Holy Spirit, I could have won a lot more fights. Especially my marriage. Because, man, I could whip her so quick with my mouth. I won all arguments. How do you know? Did you know I really wasn't winning? I was losing. Because the Holy Spirit says something like this. She was the father's daughter before she was your wife. And her father is going to clean your clock or break your neck if you don't straighten up. See, the Holy Spirit does that stuff. No, she didn't call the policeman. She didn't call a brother. She no, no, the Holy Spirit. We're talking about who runs your home? Who runs you? Who runs you? And he says, stop grieving. The Spirit can't fill someone that's so busy grieving him. And what grieves him is violating all these commands. You're in sin. You're not walking in obedience. Stop it. Stop it. And then look at verse 31. You there? And then give me 10 more minutes, and I'll probably lie if I go over. I'll try, though. Uh, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. What is he saying? What is bitterness? I've, my understanding is bitterness is the unresolved conflict that you've let the sun go down on, Uh, it's it's delayed resolution, and and you keep churning, you keep seething, and and it keeps building momentum. Tim one day told me a great line that I was seething over something, and before I did anything to solve it, he said, you better get to solving it because you're building momentum, you're building steam. By the time you get in there, the first thing you're going to do is tell them off, and you haven't solved anything. Because as I build, well, you know, you know, uh, wait, 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 back up. Walk in under control. And I'm not going to be bitter. And these two words for wrath and anger. One means explosive anger. The other means a settled state of anger. Some people are always angry. They may not show it, they look calm. My dad said my mother was the most even-tempered woman he ever met. That she got up mad and went to bed mad. She was even-tempered. Just, just, you know, of course, he's messing with her. I think she hit him for that. But, uh, you know, some folks just stay mad. They don't need an excuse. When they meet Jesus, oh, I didn't mean to offend you. They can really say, oh, that's okay, I'll stay offended. That's my settled state. That's my contribution to the church. I stay hurt all the time. Why, well, you poor thing, when are you going to get the joy of the Lord? When are you going to forgive? When are you going to pull that, that thorn that, that's infected you out of your body so you can heal? You can't ever have a battle scar till you heal up. Some of you stay wounded for 10 years. When you're going to get a scar, you've got to heal up. Heal up, honey. There's a fresh arrow with your name on it tomorrow. So you've got to heal up today so you can get wounded tomorrow and heal up. You guys don't like this stuff because it's messing with you. See, this is where you, we all, this is where They struggle. It wasn't all the great truths of being in Christ, elect, predestined. They had that whether they understood it or not. They sure enough understood this. Yeah. And he said, uh, get get rid of that. Clamor is loud speech and fighting, shouting at each other. Slander is talking down the other. Put it away with all kinds of evil. And here again, here's the positive. Okay, I don't do that. That, That's a big order, especially coming out of paganism. And here's what you put on. And put on kindness, graciousness. And this word tenderhearted, it's uh, splaknoi. It means tender emotions. Put on tender emotions. And uh, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Have you learned to be kind to one another? Now, let's take this to your home. Is your home characterized by kindness or uh, not so kind? Is there any tender emotions? Let me give you four family systems. Uh, there, we've got tw- uh, 14 we'll be looking at later. But let me give you an example. Now, you bring this saved man and woman We've got to get it together. But then they have children. And you've got a family system that they call the unloving home. And the unloving home goes this way. Basically, you feel like you don't feel loved or you don't feel like anybody in that place would do anything out of their way for you. You're just, uh, you're consuming groceries. You're taking up space and we will be glad when you leave. Uh. You, you don't feel delighted in you don't feel cared for that's the unloving environment that love you feel kindness patience forbearance everything first corinthians says love looks like but to be a child and you're growing up with a mom and dad that are fighting bad language grudge bearing anger well, what kind of environment is this home for the children looking on? It's an unloving environment. I'm not worth much here. I can't wait till I leave. My own father fled early, ran off, because he, not his mother, but his father, he's only a work hand, and he wouldn't welcome. So he fled. Unloving homes. Uh, then you get uh, families that are Critical. Versus accepting. Uh, you, you never can't jump high enough. <laughs> uh, they're always uh, telling them you're unacceptable. You, um, uh, you, the family stays in turmoil over you because you, you, you just, uh, you're not really what we wanted. You haven't done much for our family tree. You're not really a plus. You, you're, if we could, we'd send you back. There's a really an unacceptable addition. Then there's the non-affection at home versus healthy affection. Uh, Philippians says we ought to have tender affections one for another. Gut-level emotional feelings, tender. Now, if you never have that towards the saints, it won't be in your home. And uh, I'm going to tell you, it's amazing when I know the families, the era of my own folks. It was a spank quit, and it wasn't always affection. It was you better jump, you better obey you better this and that. It got better. My older brothers and sisters tell me because I'm the baby, it got better, thank God they tell me I'm a brat because of it, but I say it got better. uh Dad was wearing out um, but all of this uh you better get with it and uh, get that chore down and and do this and that. There's no regular ongoing affection. Uh, It's very sparse. If it is, and a lot of times it's used to manipulate or used to threaten. I'm not going to love you if you don't do that. Uh, If you don't behave, you're not going to get anything for Christmas. All this threat and no hugs, no embrace. We can't get into that. And, and we really do this to little boys if we're the dad. Oh, I don't want him to grow up kind of, you know, thinking affection is normal. Wow. Is that the way you want to raise him? Got to be a football player. Got to be a Marine. What if he wants to be a violinist? What if he wants to be maybe what God wants him? Why did you wash out on the team? Now you want him to make up. Well, uh, there's no room for affection here. No room for affection. Then I think of the performance-oriented home. We know can't dip deep in these things. That basically says what you do is far more significant than who you are. Uh, if you get the right grades you'll have our approval and love. If you don't, we'll withdraw it. If you make the team, uh, we'll brag on you. If you don't, we won't talk about it. I have a a preacher friend of mine that it was uh, quite a thing. He only told me about his children who excel. And I finally visited found out he had another son. I never heard about the other son. I heard about the stars. Had a star son here, star daughter here. Had a sweet girl here. But this boy, this boy, he was never mentioned in a conversation. You know why? These others were professional. He was blue-collar. Didn't do much for the family pedigree over here. Um, Performance-oriented. You better jump high and make us look good, or there will be a lesson of love and acceptance. They say people who grow up in performance homes often run away from that home and uh, they lie a lot. And this is an amazing. They've done studies. They oftentimes become performers, like in theater, because they have to act out a role because the one they grew up in was so painful. So they learn to play roles. They learn to act out because they can't live with the pain. Uh, you know, I think of uh, uh, like family affection and acceptance. Um, I I share quickly three things about affection. Number one, I'm I'm the youngest of seven. I had a bad fall when I was two. Out of that fall came braces, orthopedic shoes, four inches difference in my legs, uh, a lisper, lost my left hearing, wound up at Crippled Children's uh, buying all my braces and stuff. Wound up at Children's Hospital, and my poor mother spent so much early days taking me to one doctor after another, trying to get me well. And besides that, I had four brothers and sisters. And you know what? Do you think, do you get the feeling when you hear me preach that I love my family? How many think I love my family? You got it, honey. If you don't like it, too bad. Because I was afflicted as a boy, had those injuries, And everyone from my brothers to my sisters to my mom and dad, I was never treated less than. I was treated like a gift. And the last thing my mother needed going in her 30s was a seventh child. But I was loved. And I was loved by my siblings. I was loved by my mom and dad. It's my greatest riches outside of Christ. I was loved. And then this perfectionistic stuff. What are you going to do if God hands you a Down syndrome child? He's just liable to do it, and it'd be a gift to you. Fran's got a niece. The mama steps out of the picture. We got this Down syndrome girl, another sister steps in the picture. And has this positive, you can do anything. You can do anything. We're going to make it. We're going to educate. We're going to do. And she's hallowed now? 31. She's 31 now. And took this little down syndrome girl that you said, oh, man, inferiority, damaged goods. What you got to. She has done so good. She's done good in school. She's done good in this. You know what? Just have some folks as you're not on a performance scorecard. We're just going to love you. Because what you are is more important to us than what you do. See, we want grace and salvation, and yet we grow homes that are rigid, legalistic, and performance-oriented. It's anathema. It's a thousand miles away from the God that saved us. I like the way we raise children. Doing Hebrews 12 at Mount Hermon about God as a father, parents us just right. I just think of how God, his family system. Here the other night, my great-grandson wanted to stay with his cousins and his auntie. And so he went out, told his mom he got to crying, I want to stay, I want to stay. Yeah, okay, let him stay. He's four years old, so his bed that night is a sleeping bag next to our bed. Grandma's in the other room, and, he, and he's crying. Now he's crying because his mama left. <laughs> First, he was crying to stay. Okay, so he wins that one. So now he's crying because his mama left, and I get aggravated. I thought, "By George. You're not running the house. You cried and got your way here. You're going to go to sleep. So in tender love, I swatted him. Go to sleep, A.J., Get to sleep. Now you crying there. You are crying here. I want you to stop that whimpering, because I'm a godly, loving grandfather. <laughs> boy, straighten out. You know, you watch a little four-year-old boy that weighs about forty pounds. You know, it's not a lot of fun, is it? And I boom, doing it like that. And I never heard him whimper so much. <laughs> he just kept, and I went to sleep. And my conscience, I I thought, you know, I've been there before. Come on, dry it up. Dry it up. (laughs) I thought, oh, man, it wasn't that hard. But he wanted his mama. He wanted his mama. The grandmother comes in. And grandma starts telling him a story. And, and within five minutes, she's in dreamland. Yeah. I was so grieved in spirit that God knows how, He knows when we need to have a psalm read to us when everybody else wants to swat us in the rear. The boy needed tenderness, he didn't need firmness. And to know when to do. He said, earthly fathers do the best they can. They call it, and sometimes we miss it. Does your family system look like anything like God's system? Have you ever blown it, and you wait for God to expunge you from the book of life, and you feel his arms around you saying, you're my son, you're my child. I ain't letting anybody tear you out of my arms. Why can't we transfer that? You would think sinners would know how to love sinners. They need exactly what we need, right? I don't hear you. Because some of you are rigid perfectionists that if you got the way you acted, you'd miss heaven by a million miles because you're on the merit system. And that's the way you treat everybody in your life. That's why we never see Christ in you. Christ came for the broken that could never merit what they needed. Our Father, we're grateful to you for grace and for your tender touch in raising us. You know when we need a spanking and when we need a tender word. You know our families are often non-affectionate, non-loving, perfectionistic, and all the rigidity that makes every kid want to flee. They can't stand that kind of Christianity. May we show them the real stuff, the kind of love with which the Father has raised us. I thank you, Lord, for your tender mercies. I thank you for all the garbage you've enabled many of us to already put off. Help us to put on the right, to put on working with the goal to help to put on speech that will build and minister grace, to put off anger that just carries on the grudge and to put on the peace of God. Father, change us. Change us as adults. How could our home ever be changed unless you change us? Change me. I want to be like your son. He's the template that breaks my heart when I see how far short I fall of him so many times. Give us the humility to say, make me like you, Jesus. Make me like you. The believer that is struggling in their home today, help them to call on the name of the Lord and let the Spirit take over that home Begin to fill that husband and that wife. Let them end that divorce talk. Let them end that negative talking to each other. Let them put away malice and anger and wrath and clamor. Let them put on forgiveness and tender emotions. Restore our homes. Restore our homes. If there's anyone here today has never seen a Christian home, and they've never met Christ. Today, show them they can begin with Christ today and begin the adventure of a lifetime, living the life Christ has to give, not only for them personally, but can change their home life forever. We bless your name. We love you forever.